everybody. Welcome to this week's edition of A Trophy Life, the official podcast of the Naismith Awards here in Atlanta. Bob Rathbun bidding you welcome. And what a week, right? Uh, this bombshell news heads our Jersey Mike's news and notes. The decision by UCLA and USC to leave the Pac-12 and join the Big Ten has sent shockwaves through college athletics, shockwaves through college basketball for the men and the women, and we will try to unpack it all for you best we can. Coming up with my guest this week, the great Adam Finkelstein from 247sports.com and cbssports.com will join me. It's a terrific interview. Adam has got He's got the insights down on what we have seen this week and what we can expect in the weeks to come. That's going to be yours in just a moment. And reminder to everyone that you can get the latest news and analysis on high school and college and NBA basketball from Adam on 247sports.com and cbssports.com. That with Adam in just a moment. But here at the Naismith Awards, of course, you know, college basketball is our passion, and we're just wondering you know, what is going to become of these remaining Pac-12 schools? Are they going to hold together? What does the future hold? And on the women's side, I mean, you're talking about iconic programs, Stanford, uh, Arizona now, Oregon, Oregon State. I mean, this is far-reaching in terms of what is going to happen. And down the road, and Adam gets into this, uh, we talk about What's going to happen down the road in terms of a recruiting void in Southern California now that UCLA and and USC are out of the mix? What impact is that going to have? And the ripple effect on other conferences. You have to wonder about the Atlantic Coast Conference. Can Jim Phillips keep this thing together? Um, Duke and North Carolina, two iconic brands in college basketball. What's going to happen if the football schools like Miami and Florida State and Clemson have an eye on the SEC. Will they indeed challenge the grant of media rights? To be seen, but this talk is going on, and it certainly affects college basketball. Uh, Just so much going on and hard to really get a handle on. And I think the one thing that makes it so, uh, so difficult to comprehend is, obviously, this deal was cut weeks, if not months ago. Great in keeping a secret, guys. But still, what else has been done that we don't know about uh, that's going to come out here in the next days and weeks uh, that's going to affect the landscape? We get into all this with Adam in just a moment, so stay with us for this week's A Trophy Life. But first, this from Jersey Mike's. Jersey Mike's would like to dedicate the next three seconds to our new grilled portobello mushroom and Swiss sub. Trust us, it tastes good too. Because fresh ingredients make a sub above. We are joined on the podcast this week by Adam Finkelstein, who joins us, uh, the 24-7 Director of Scouting and College Basketball Insider, also with CBSSports.com. And, you know, we're going to talk, Adam, about the summer basketball season as it relates to the high school and the Naismith, et cetera. But we've got to begin with the seismic news yesterday of USC and UCLA bolting the Pac-12 to go to the Big Ten. I think all of us in, in college athletics and certainly uh, in on the high school side, I mean, this is just mind-boggling uh, for those of us who have been around a while and, and understand the history and tradition of the Pac-12. And to see the two marquee teams leave, 
uh, was stunning. You penned an article yesterday uh, for 24-7 Sports, which I thought hit the nail right on the head. But just to recap your thoughts and feelings and emotions of what went down yesterday. Well, from a basketball perspective, because obviously there's going to be broad implications across college athletics as a whole. And, you know, most of these moves within realignment are driven by football because um, it's the biggest, economically speaking, of the revenue producing sports. Um, But from a basketball perspective, um, you know, I do think that the Pac-12 has obviously got to figure out where it goes from here and, and what's next, because certainly there are going to be other member schools that explore their options right now, because there are very there are schools that are significant, not just to college basketball, but to college athletics that are still left under that umbrella that are going to want to make sure they have a, you know, that they have a chair when the music stops playing. Um, and the comparison I made uh, was to the Big East, but I think that's that's relevant from a couple different examples. The first one is is just in relation to the the uh, the schools still in the Pac-12. You can remember how programs like UConn and Cincinnati, uh, when the Big East was first targeted uh, by the ACC and kind of the the first you know domino in this most recent chapter of of realignment, those schools really got hurt by going to the American Athletic Association. And, um, and so I think, you know, they weren't, they weren't at the forefront of, of trying to, to make moves proactively and ultimately they got hurt by it. I think both have since recovered, um, and ended up in the right place, but there's no denying that, that initially that was not a a positive thing, uh, for their athletic department. So I think there's an example there that, that those schools that remain in the PAC 12, while, you know, a lot of people are talking about loyalty right now, they're not going to be talking about loyalty if you're the last one there and it's a bad, you know, and it's a bad situation for your athletics department. So they've got to be proactive, at least seeing what the options are and making a, uh, an educated decision um, after doing their due diligence. Uh, and again, looking at, at the, the way the, the Big East first went down. I do think there's a model for basketball-centric schools, though, and this is where I use kind of the modern Big East because, as I said, football is the primary driver in in realignment. But for schools that that base their athletics department uh, or where uh, basketball is the flagship program, there is a precedent now um, that you can have relevance in the modern-day college sports landscape, and that is the current Big East. So after they lost all those schools, the Syracuses, the West Virginias, um, so many the Louisvilles, um, how did they respond? Well, they, they rallied around the what was then dubbed the Catholic Seven, who were all basing their athletic department around basketball. They added three more like-minded schools, and those 10 schools created a conference that was focused about, around basketball and, from a revenue perspective, men's basketball in particular. And in so doing, they got like-minded schools from a similar geographic base, and they gave themselves a path forward, ultimately even drawing UConn back and convincing them to kind of de-emphasize their football program um, for the betterment of the rest of the athletic department. So I think that that modern uh, model that the Big East provides is a really important precedent for those schools on the West Coast, not just in the Pac-12, because I think everything's going to evolve. But for those schools on the West Coast that have a basketball-centric model, they really, uh, in my opinion, would do well to unite and follow that example that the Big East set. Adam, from a recruiting standpoint, particularly for those schools that are left in the Pac-12, if they indeed stay together, 
losing Southern California uh, in terms of UCLA and USC bolting, what does this do to the recruiting horizon? Well, you know, to be honest with you, most 17-year-old kids don't understand the relevance of this quite yet. Um, When it's going to start to impact it is when they say, wait, you're in what conference? You know, and and right now, right now, nobody in that league. So I, I guess my point is we're still a couple iterations away from the kids recognizing what a factor it is, in my opinion, and, and certainly, again, relying on the precedent of, of what we've seen more on the East Coast in years past. But it certainly is coming. I, I mentioned Cincinnati and UConn. Um, when they ended up in the AAC, they would tell you that was a big problem for them uh, from a recruiting standpoint, um, from a branding standpoint, from a, a exposure standpoint on national television. So it's, you know, right now the ball is, is rolling. The kids don't realize it yet, but if you end up in a bad spot like UConn and Cincinnati did initially, it will undeniably become a factor in recruiting. I think right now one of the more interesting uh, recruiting themes in this is, is Mick Cronin, who was previously at Cincinnati, having more of a pipeline into the Midwest where he successfully recruited before. UCLA is already a program that recruits uh, the Northeast region and, uh, you know, the greater New York City region pretty successfully going cross-country. That's in large part due to Dar- Darren Savino, who's their associate head coach. But now you're looking at a UCLA team, uh, which I think is really going to be able to recruit nationally. And there are less than five programs in the country who can truly do that. A lot of people talk about it, but, you know, it's really only uh, the Blue Bloods that can that can pull that off. And uh, I think UCLA is is – going to be in that mix even more so now than they previously were. You mentioned how football drives this, and you're so right. I'm thinking here in the Southeast, when is the other shoe going to drop on a conference like the ACC? Uh, We know that that grant of media rights is out there uh, and was put in place to hold this thing together. But I sense a court challenge coming. People like Miami, Florida State, Clemson eyeballing the SEC. Maybe the upper tier is thinking about, why should I stay in this? Uh, Why not go back to the Big East? I mean, you know that the other shoe or shoes will be dropping very, very soon in this because, as you know, it all turns out to be every man for himself. They talk about loyalty, and you mentioned it earlier, but, I mean, in the end, it is all about the dollar signs and, and every man for himself. And I'm, I just wonder, you know, particularly from a basketball standpoint, what in the world is going to become, ultimately, of the NCAA tournament? Well, I think the NCAA tournament is, the I don't want to say the only thing, but if you said to yourself, you know, the NCAA has taken a lot of criticism over the years. Um, and if you were to say, what is the best thing that the NCAA does? Um, I think most people would probably say the NCAA tournament. Now, granted, I'm biased, um, but from a visibility perspective, from an economic perspective, I mean, it, it really does check a lot of boxes. So I, I think, you know, while it may evolve, I, I'm going to suspect that all of the players – um, regardless of what happens with realignment, are going to be motivated to see that um, that continue. Because all this is driven by money, and at the end of the day, from a basketball perspective, nothing generates more money than the NCAA tournament. So I, I, my suspicion is that that will you know, continue. Um, 
but I think that you raise a good point, which is that this type of this type of move is going to have repercussions across, you know, college athletics from coast to coast, potentially for a long time, because the dominoes are going to start going, you know, going uh, really quickly now. Because not only are you saying what is, um, you know, what's the Pac-12 going to do, and what are their member, what are their memberships going to do. But you're also saying, okay, what else is the Big Ten going to do? Because you can just look at a map, and, and this doesn't work right now. And they've got to add some more schools. And um, and then once they start adding, you know, does the, the Big 12 and the SEC, do they follow suit? So I think there's certainly a path forward where you see the the even further creation of these super conferences. And that's going to put in a, that's going to put other conferences, potentially the ACC, in jeopardy. Um, and it's ironic too because the ACC is is really one of the ones that that first got got this rolling uh, by raiding the Big East, as we alluded to earlier. Oh, so much to unpack. We had so little time. Uh, <laughs> um, Adam, uh, we thank you for serving uh, the Naismith Awards so well, uh, fans. He is uh, one of our national selectors when it comes to our Jersey Mike's Naismith High School. Uh, Players of the Year awards, and we want to get a little flavor, Adam, if we could, from you about what's happening. But I want to start with an overview. We've heard so much with the transfer portal over the last year plus and how it's affected recruiting. And, you know, to to some, they feel that, you know, the high school athlete uh, is not getting uh, recruited uh, as prominently as he once was, or she in some cases. Um, you know, I don't know if that's true. I want to ask you about that. But how, how do you see the transfer portal affecting, you know, the, the July camps and the recruitment? This is the recruiting season, of course. And also, as an attachment, NIL. So, Start however you wish, but I want to get your insights on yeah. this. So the recruiting landscape has has totally changed, and and you just mentioned uh, two of the major variables there. There's other ones. Uh, there's other variables that are impacting it. Um, you know the the various pro options with the G League Ignite and Overtime Elite. That's that's another variable to throw in there. But collectively speaking, um, it has created. Um, an unprecedented time in college recruiting and just a a significant period of transition because I I don't know, I think we're still in the midst of this transition. I don't think it has ended yet. You know, we can talk about how things have have changed because of the transfer portal NIL and the professional options, but I think it's more accurate to say continuously changing because I don't think that the dust has settled on all this yet. And obviously realignment is going to play a role in that as well. Um, But to kind of attack those one at a time, I think that, from a college coach's perspective, uh, there's never been a whole lot of job security in college coaching. There's probably less now than ever before. And consequently, that puts you in a position where you almost always have to be in win-now mode. And uh, winning is oftentimes a byproduct of experience. And so you're going to just, and this is an oversimplification, but lots of times you're going to have a better chance at winning by getting 20 to 22-year-olds than you are 18-year-olds, which is why you see a lot of teams really concentrate on the transfer portal. It's also a more efficient process. It's, it's expedited into, you know, a couple of months, if not a couple of weeks, whereas high school recruiting can take a couple of years. You're chasing these kids around. So 
it's more efficient from a time standpoint. It's more efficient from a, from an economic standpoint in terms of the amount of money you have to invest. Um, and by extension, recruiting those high school kids, which can sometimes take a couple of years, if you're not even getting a, a full four-year or even three-year return on your investment for going into that, it's just making a lot of teams kind of question, um, again, the efficiency of, of spending all that time and all that money pursuing someone who's going to come in as an 18-year-old and potentially only only spend one year there. Uh, so whether it's because they enter the transfer portal or they ex- decide to explore options uh, professionally or because, you know, you recruited them hard for a year or two and somebody else came in with a bigger NIL uh, offer and so you lost them at the last minute. So I think for all those reasons, you're seeing a lot of teams start to show some uh, preference towards recruiting in the transfer portal. But the flip side of that coin is that, um, you know, when everybody gravitates towards the same path, it creates an opportunity to kind of take the road less traveled. So if there are less people um, recruiting the high school ranks and potentially, and I think this is, this is somewhat true, especially early on in the cycle, um, there's, there's more available value there. So overall, I don't think that, I, I think it's mostly the low to mid-major levels that have seen the biggest changes with regard to high school recruiting. The high major kids are still getting recruited at a very similar rate. But uh, when you talk about low to mid-major kids, it's, it's harder than ever. Uh, for those kids to to get their their desirable outcomes and and um, you know we've seen that throughout the course of the year. Adam, we have just a little bit of time remaining uh, for our Naismith fans that are listening, uh, and this has been fantastic, by the way. Just the insights have been amazing. Uh, give us a little um, flavor of of what you're seeing out there in terms of the of the top recruits and. Of course, many have already declared where they're going uh, this fall and the, and the next, but just kind of give us a little overview of what you're seeing on the high school scene. Well, for the class of 2023, I think, you know, it's fairly open right now. There is no um, there is no uh, individual prospect who's, who's really um, running away with it. So I think, you know, Gigi Jackson, who's committed to North Carolina, DJ Wagner, who's you know, I, I think publicly debating between Louisville and Kentucky, but probably leaning towards Louisville. Uh, though they have been two of the, the premier prospects in the class. Xavier Booker, who is a uh, a 6'10 lefty out of Indiana, he's he's really been uh, rising rapidly this spring. And then there's a host of others who are you know in the mix as well. So it's a class that that um, is really open at the top. Doesn't necessarily have that one overwhelming favorite. Um, uh, but is, you know, this is a fun time of year because we're going to be on the road, you know, we're gonna say goodbye to our families and be on the road for the better part of July. And a lot of things are going to change in the next three months, just because we're going to have a, a much bigger sample size of what all these kids can do. So there's going to be new names that are going to emerge in the next month. There's going to be some that, that surpass others because, you know, last July, it was the time that we said, wait a minute, Shaden Sharp's the best player in the, in the country. And wait a minute, you know, Amani Bates is, is not trending in the direction we'd hoped. So um, July is really the month where we just get uh, enough volume in terms of our evaluations to be uh, as accurate as we would like to be. Shaden is going to be a rather rich case study, is he not? <laughs> not playing, get to become a lottery pick. <laughs> Um, yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's going to be, it's going to be very interesting, um, because I think, you know, one of the other consequences of those different variables NIL and, and all those things is, is you're going to see kids who want to get to college, 
kids have always run towards the money. They want to get to the draft. And I shouldn't say kids. I should say kids and families and, and you know, the people around them. But they want to get to the draft as quick as they can. And now with NIL being as, as popular as it is, a lot of them want to get to college as quickly as they can. So that kind of reclassifying up, because um, it wasn't just Shaden last year. It was Jalen Duren, Amani Bates, all those guys reclassifying up, going to college a year earlier than expected. Uh, that was that had a lot to do with NIL. So I think that's going to be something we, we continue to see a trend for, um, you know, in the future as well. We live in interesting times. Adam Finkelstein, thank you so much for doing this for us. This is a tremendous background for our Naismith listeners, and we appreciate you so much for what you do for us too. And uh, we will be excitingly uh, dialing in to the website and to the uh, – to 24-7, to cbssports.com to get the latest from you on the trail. Uh, good health to you and safe travels. I know this is going to be a hectic month, but we really appreciate you. Adam, we thank you so much for taking time and a critical uh, time in college athletics uh, to join us this week, and we really appreciate all the insights. That will do it for us this week. Make sure you subscribe and uh, make sure you give us a, a review. And this helps us get the word out to college basketball fans everywhere about great guests like Adam uh, to offer their insights and keep you on the cutting edge. Until next week, Bob Rathman saying so long.